Welcome to another episode of the Mediaverse Podcast. My name is Mohammed Chaudhry and this is my co-host, Marcus Panem. And today we're going to be talking about the second season of Stranger Things, or arguably the best one. Now I'm going to let you go ahead and talk about your thoughts on this season first, because my entire argument is just going to be a counter-argument to yours. <laughs> okay, I know you said at the end of last episode that this season is your favorite season of the show. And I'm going to have to get to say it's my least favorite. Um, and there's only one reason for that. And I'm just going to address the elephant in the room right now because this is what everyone thinks about when they think about this season. And that's that crappy episode, uh, season two, episode seven, The Lost Sister. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate this episode. And I know you do too. And I'm pretty sure every person I know who has watched this show does not like this episode to some extent. And that's because it like... Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, first of all, it's very generic. It's very bland. I'll agree. Um, second, the actors are kind of cringy at points. They remind me of like, you know, the typical 90s Hot Topic kid. Uh, no offense to you, Hot Topic kids. I, I shop at Hot Topic too. But like, <laughs> it's, a bit too, <laughs> it's a bit too extra for me. But like the main reason I don't like it and as a writer this really bothers me is how it breaks up the the pacing of the season now i feel like i've talked about this a lot um i'm not sure we talked about it um in the last episode we recorded but um stranger things is obviously not supposed to be designed like a normal tv show it's supposed to be more like a long movie and i think the problem with the lost sister is that it ruins that pacing for this uh i guess quote-unquote long movie like some people will say oh, you know, a TV show always has that one episode where you don't like it, it's filler, and it just doesn't fit in, but, you know, it's a TV show, it's going to have those episodes. But the problem with Stranger Things is that they don't, they shouldn't have space for that, you know? It's supposed to be a tightly woven story in each season, and the reason I don't like Lost Sisters is because it breaks up that pacing, and it just feels so out of place. And it just, the writing's not on par with... Okay, go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you talk, because I feel like I've been going on about this. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um... What I was gonna say is, I am that kind of person where I'm like, it's just one episode, it doesn't really make or break a season. But for me, Stranger Things season two like provides the culmination of a lot of my favorite characters. Like Max is one of my favorites out of the whole group. Billy is easily like the most human antagonist we've had in the whole series. And then we have the emergence of Steve, <laughs> Team Steve. But um, anyway, Steve. King Steve. But it's just I don't know something about all the storylines, other than that one crappy one. It just makes it so good. You have Nancy and Jonathan finding Murray, and then all of them just kind of figuring it out on their own. You have the doctors that you think are evil, but in reality, they're not evil. Which kind of like it breaks away from the norm, you know. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, you have Will trying to fit in with his friends again, since the fact that he's been out for a year, and then he just gets screwed over again and possessed by this mind flayer. You have Bob, the character who you're also not supposed to like, but he comes through in the end completely. And then you just have the original group. The only person I'll say is a little bit weaker this season is Eleven, because she didn't have as big of a role in the first few episodes as she did in season one. I want to say due to the fact that she's kind of stuck at Hopper's for like the whole time. Uh, I actually will agree with you on that one. I feel like one of the strongest things that season two did was it expanded all those character arcs that we were introduced to in the first season. Um, like, for instance, Hopper. Hopper's kind of developing, you know, he's trying to trust people more. And 
season mm-hmm. two kind of explores that more with um, that father-daughter dynamic with um, Eleven. And also, you know, my favorite character from the first season, Nancy, she's also, you know, diving deeper into what she's trying to do, you know, trying to um, take risk and, you know, just be more assertive. But um, that brings me to our first point, and that's our favorite character arc of the season, and that's uh, that's Steve. I know it's Steve. both of our favorite characters <laughs> this season, but um, I'm going to let you start this one off. Steve, he's kind of like the opposite of what he was in the first season. First, we kind of first we see him with Nancy, and he's happy, and like you know, he's clearly broken away from the stereotype that he was, and he really likes Nancy. You can tell he likes Nancy more than Nancy likes him, and that does come into play after to the point where he says, um, like literally, what if I just don't go to college and I just stay with you? And then we kind of see something that's supposed to show the breakdown. Steve deserved better. Steve did deserve better. Yes, I'll agree with you on that. But anyway, we go to the party where Nancy gets drunk and then she just goes like, I don't love you. This is all BS. And then you can just see Dude, the heartbreak. I could see, you could see his heartbreak in his eyes. He's like, you don't love me? And we're like, oh, like as, so as a fan of, like that was a moment. I, I knew for a fact that Steve was like one of my favorite characters on the show. Because like, you just felt for him in that moment, you know? Because... Uh, the thing with Steve and Nancy is like um, you can tell they're like I mean they're kind of a good couple but you know they're just not right for each other and I think mm-hmm. that that's what really stands out uh, no, that the scene. thing is like season 2 is also where we see Steve at his downfall he just lost his little homecoming king reputation kind of thing to Billy who's clearly like the new big thing it's at the same party mm-hmm. too by the way where he kind of gets like dethroned then Nancy comes in and goes like alright you know what I'm not into this anymore like I'm out and then he's just down in the dumps. And, you know, usually someone when they're down in the dumps like that, they would take their anger out or like they would just they would not like be very approachable at that moment. But what does Steve mm-hmm. do? He just starts meeting up with Dustin and starts helping the kids out and kind of taking it into like that. He's going into that babysitter role, you know, and it's really nice to see Steve. Is a, mm-hmm. he, you can see that the character really has a good. You see like glimpses of it in the first season, but you don't see it nearly as much as you do in the second season where I feel like this is kind of Steve's like breaking out. Yeah, what I really like about Steve's character arc is that they really introduced that concept of Steve as like, you know, that friend you can rely on because Steve's like one of those guys where you're like, you'll call him up and ask for help and they're like willing to be there in a second. Um, that's what I really like about Steve. He's one of those reliable well, reliable guys that you could just trust, you know? Mm-hmm. He's just, it's a, it's a great all-around character. He he immediately moved up with like Hopper and Dustin as my two favorite characters from the whole series. But Dustin, um, really? Okay, Dustin. <laughs> After Dustin, this season, <laughs> I do not blame Dustin for what he did. Cause if I was a kid and I saw that kind of crap moving around in my trash can, like the first thing I would be like was like, "Whoa!" Like you know, <laughs> like I would think I had this revolutionary discovery that would make me rich or something. Oh no, bro! I'd be scared as hell. Are you kidding you'd me? Be, you'd be scared, but like you know, you'd be like curious too. You know, <laughs> Dustin gets. I mean, he deserves a pass for what he did this season. I won't consider what he did in. Or no, not what he did. Sorry will happen in the next season to be forgivable but what he does in this season is fine okay don't blame dustin it's not his fault he's a kid he's a stupid kid but he's a kid okay you know what that's a good point he is a kid um doesn't change the fact that that was stupid but you know mm-hmm. i guess that's kind of protected by the fact he's a kid. <laughs> i mean you could say you could say all like the characters are stupid in some sense you know i mean Max clearly knows like what's going, what's going to happen to her if she starts hanging out with those guys. It's not Max isn't stupid in that sense, but you know like she's kind of like 
She's screwing herself I guess, over. I guess stubborn is more like what yeah. we're thinking here. It's stubbornness. And then Mike kind of has that same mentality with Eleven where like he's not giving up on her. Will, I don't say Will is, I don't think Will is stupid, but that's because the kid is literally, like he's been in a coma for like the past two seasons at this point, dude. We have not okay, seen while Will we're touching, yet. While we're touching on Mike, I just want to mention real quick, because I don't think we're going to talk about that much, but he doesn't really do much this season in my opinion like it's interesting I, the first yeah. the first like the two main characters of the first season are not really featured that much in the second season in the first season it's clear that Mike and like what's it called Eleven are like the big thing the other characters they're big too but they're like kind of secondary they're not secondary characters but they're not shown nearly as much and then those two take a step back this season yeah it's really I guess what I really liked about season two which I guess is its strength, is that it really explores the characters more um, and lets us get to know them better and see them grow in the direction that they were heading towards in the first season. But um, like I said, the first, or that one episode, um, The Lost Sister, the mm -hmm. way it breaks the pacing, the way it drags it down, I mean, that's enough for me to say it's the, it's the, the worst season of the show, in my opinion. Just because the just other two seasons are practically... Just because of one episode? Practically. One just, episode? Okay. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. I feel like the other two seasons are literally just that perfect. That like, season two doesn't hold up just because of that one episode. Like, it's it's like it might seem kind of nitpicky, but like, that's the only weakness I've found in the entire series. Like, I mean, there are smaller weaknesses, but that's the biggest weakness of the series is that one episode. Um, I will say. So yeah, okay, that's. Sorry. Okay. No. Nah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I was gonna say that um, one of the strongest points of season two is the main villain i'm not saying billy i'm saying the mind flayer the whole design of the character okay as someone who has a phobia of spiders the, the mind flayer scenes were not the best scenes for me <laughs> seeing all those tentacles the giant oh god it scared me at times the, the demogorgon is scary i'll give it that but the demogorgon is something that like you know like realistically like someone like not someone but like a, a few people could potentially take down in a sense <laughs> based on his size the mind flayer is freaking huge like have you ever seen war of the worlds war of the worlds no i have not the aliens in that are giant and they're terrifying because of how big they are at times and just you get that feeling of helplessness when you see them it's kind of like <laughs> like if you um moving on to like what's it called a different little topic that's not really part stranger things but like if you saw like king kong or godzilla or something like that you would be overwhelmed at their size and how big they were the mind flayer is like that kind of size where he's huge he would fit perfectly in that monsters universe easily i think the thing that scared me more was like he had an army because in the first season we only had to worry about that one demogorgon but in season two we had to deal with like I don't know, like a few dozen demodogs, and mm -hmm. they were just roaming around the town, going through the tunnels. Um, I saw that as more of a threat than the actual mind flayer himself, because he doesn't, you know, become a physical entity until uh, season three, which obviously we're not going to talk about yet. But mm -hmm. um, there's that. I will give them what they call credit for this. That final scene where you do see like it's like a split second scene like i think it lightning hits and then you see the mind flare is like still there that really scared me too because i was just like oh dude i man. love that shot i That's love amazing. that shot because it's, it's during that scene where what's called like you think everything is okay and it's all fine because all the kids are dancing together and mm. then bam that hits it's the perfect way to end the season it just leaves you feeling kind of you know worried about where um the future is headed towards hawkins 
I think what's it called? Season one ended with Will um coughing up the mind flare thing, right? I feel like that was what the slug, was. yeah. Oh yeah, the slug. Wait, was that the slug that turned into um, it that turned into dark? Dustin's? I think that was dark. Yeah, I think, I think that, that was, was dark. dark. Yeah, that must that 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 has some but to go be like the only way it happened. But um, yeah, they always alluded. I don't think they did that in season three. I can't remember necessarily. They they did that post credit scene. Um, was it of the one in Russia? In in Russia, yeah. Oh, oh wait, the Demogorgons were there, weren't they? I remember now. The Demogorgon in the Roman, uh, not Roman, <laughs> <laughs> the Russian prison. <laughs> the Roman prison. That would be a the little Roman interesting. Prison. <laughs> um, Stranger Roman things. I feel like what's it called? Season two is um, season two is kind of seen as the setup for season three because we get the introduction to Murray. We get the introduction to the Russians in a sense. When when what's called Owen says that he doesn't want like the um, like the um, the technology they have like falling in the wrong hands that kind of loses something right there mm-hmm. and it's in the nineteen eighties so we're obviously thinking Cold War and then it also has the setup to the actual mind flare because we just see it in like it's kind of spiritual being and then season three like you said is the time where we finally see it in like all of its glory. I think the thing that was awesome about Stranger Things though is like it really you can tell the upside down is like this expansive world that we're just learning about slowly and like incrementally like i mean obviously all fantasies fantasy and sci-fi uh universes have their own set of rules about like how they set up their creatures and worlds or whatever mm-hmm. but what i love about stranger things is like it kind of leaves a mystery it lets us discover stuff along the way you know because like um i know that they the duffer brothers the creators of the show they have like um like a twenty page notebook with ideas for the upside down and like every season they're just introducing one of those ideas. So I think that that's really interesting about it is like they're fleshing it out over time instead of like, you know, just dumping it all on us. Yeah, um that kinda reminded me of something you said. You said it was just one demogorgon in season one. But the thing is, there's so many like little creatures in that upside down that we don't even know if that was the original demogorgon, you know? Like for all we know that could have been a completely different one. Oh that's dude, a little that's theory. A good theory actually. Oh crap. Mm-hmm. It might not have been multiple be demogorgons. demogorgons. Because we know that there's multiple demogorgons. We see the one in Russia. The demodogs show up in the actual world. I'm not saying the demodogs are the demogorgons, but there's multiple of them, meaning they do know how to reproduce, which is a nasty thought to think about. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes, the, demogor- <laughs> the demogorgons do, do that. Together. <laughs> oh, God, why'd you have to... <laughs> anyway, um, like we're saying, there, there has to be multiple demogorgons, which means... That for all we know, that one we see in the beginning of what's it called, like the fir- not the one that we see in the beginning, but like the one that's like shown throughout it, might not even be the same one that we see dying at the end. That's a good point, and you know it does remind me, um, of like what we were talking about last time, where uh, you were saying there should be more creatures from Dungeons and Dragons, and I I don't know the demo dogs obviously weren't from Dungeons and Dragons, but the Mind Flayer was. Season three didn't really have any of that. Um, we're not Wait, talking about season three. I thought the Demogorgon three, was from. I thought the Demogorgon de- was from um, season one. Demogorgon oh no, not, so far, not from season one. Sorry, it was from what they call Dungeons and Dragons. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, but there was like no Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons creatures in uh, season three. I don't think. Well, the Mind Flayer really? is the only like what they call Dungeons and Dragons creature that's shown in season. They do get it from what they call Dungeons and Dragons. I specifically remember like them holding up. I don't know if it was a little icon or like a card or something, and it was the actual Mind Flayer because the monsters do like come completely from Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I know the Mind Flayer is from Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm saying mm-hmm. 
the creatures they introduced in season three weren't based off of Dungeons and Dragons. So that's kind of off topic. So oh, okay, that yeah, that makes sense. I get that. that now. But um, anyway, like I was saying, pretty much like most of the most of the main villains are from Dungeons and Dragons. But now that we're talking about villains, I wanted to move on to the human villains of season two, and talk about quite honestly the most evil character in all three or the most evil like human character in all three seasons i don't talk i don't count dr brenner as human because he doesn't have any of the characteristics in a sense (laughs) if you know what i mean he's very scary if there was someone who's like a reptile person like you know i'm not into those conspiracies but i could completely see that (laughs) but anyway like i was saying billy oh my god you could just tell from the start this kid is a total jerk Dacre Montgomery is just so good as Billy, dude. Like, it's, I am so unsettled by his performance. It's funny because you, you showed me, um, like, a video where when he's, like, not in character, he's really polite and, like, shy and stuff. But when he's on screen, that man is a monster. It is insane. That one scene where he's going faster and faster while the boys are, like, what's going on, trying to, like, bike away, it genuinely had me, like, feeling intense. Like, I was invested in that scene. I was thinking... I wouldn't be surprised if one of them got hit at some point and we go, like we see them going to a hospital because Billy is that unhinged. Yeah, and just seeing him fight Steve at the buyer's house at the end of... um, Or, like, in the finale, that part was crazy because he was just laughing when he was getting punched. Like, who the hell does that when they're getting punched, dude? He's weird, man. <laughs> you can just tell there's not really something... There's something wrong with Billy, like, completely mentally. Like, he's just, like, he is... I don't want to say insane, but I would say, like, more like a psychopath because he knows that there's something wrong with him. And I know they try to clear it up with, like, season three and say that it's because of his dad, but no one acts like that, man. <laughs> like, that kind of stuff. Calling, I don't know if he, he didn't call Lucas, like, what's it called? Anything, like, word, right? He just, like, kind of, like, implied no, no, that no. it was... He was, like, he was just, like, I don't want you around people like that. And oh, I think okay. that's really cool because, like, we're not really cool because it's racist. <laughs> okay, it's racist full- stuff. <laughs> It's really cool. cool because it kind of addresses how the 80s were still very <laughs> prejudiced. Like, <laughs> you really said really cool. <laughs> you mean really no, no, interesting no. to his character. Really? No, it's really... It, I think it really like provides commentary on the 80s. Because I feel like... And I feel like we talked about this before. But I feel like everyone likes to romanticize the 80s as like this ideal time period. But we got to remember that this is a time where there was a lot of... No racism and homophobia. We also got some of that in season one when they were like saying Will was uh, gay and they yeah, were using homophobic slurs. So, like, I think that that's really um, good, good, Relevant good covers, to the time. you know, really, yeah, it really addressed that. And, and we still have issues like that. So, I think that that was really um, smart of the Duffers to, you know, not completely idealize the 80s and show that there were problems with how people thought. I was going to say, like, segregation ended in the 60s, and we know that, and, you know, they were still, like, they were, we were, what's it called, like, we saw, like, other minorities as equal back in the 60s, but even nowadays, there are still other people who still refuse to see that, and in the 80s and 90s, it was a lot more rampant. Like, I mean, even when we were in high school, like, what's it called, like, um, you know, a lot of people would say slurs and all that kind of stuff, and they would get away with it, no mm-hmm. one would really say anything to them. No one really wants to hold anyone accountable for their actions, in a sense. And I think Billy yeah, is totally kind of like the all-around that. stereotype. Go yeah, ahead. definitely. No, no, I'm, a, t- I'm totally really, agreeing with you. 
Mm-hmm. It's really just interesting to see his whole character and all like the little mannerisms and everything. Just the way, even the way he walks. That one of the weirdest scenes to me was that one scene in the shower where they're all talking. And it's just Billy talking crap to Steve, and it's just like you really have to do it 24-7. He really has to make sure to drill it into Steve's head that Billy like sees himself as above Steve. Yeah, and I love that Billy kind of takes over that role that Steve was kind of intended for in season one, which is the douchebag jock archetype character. So I really like how they did that because they didn't just get rid of Steve's um, douchebag character. They kind of transferred it to Billy. And I really like that because... Um, I know they wanted to kill off Steve in season one, but they changed their minds at the last second because they really liked the actor. And there wasn't really an explanation for like, um, who would take over that void in you know, the high school, I guess, uh, social pyramid or whatever. (laughs) I don't know what to call it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. Oh, well, Um, anyway, um, go ahead, keep going. Well, okay, while we're on characters, I wanted to um, talk about some other characters that I really like this season. Um, since we're talking of new characters, I know he has a very small role, but I love Murray, dude. <laughs> I love that. Murray dude. is hilarious. <laughs> he just makes me, I, I don't know. know, something about him, just, he just cracks me up whenever I see him. And he, um, he just has that look of like a crazy conspiracy theorist, you know? It's... He fits that like stereotype perfectly too. I feel like the way the characters dress and they're just they're all around like the way they look and everything, it perfectly fits who they are as like character personalities. Like Jonathan, you could clearly see someone like that as like the loner of the high school, you know, the one who no one really talks to, he just kinda of sits on his mm-hmm. own. Nancy is that kind of preppy kid, Steve is the jock, and then you know, Billy is the crackhead. <laughs> and then you know the kid the other kids like the Popular little kids crackhead. even then like yeah, the popular crackhead, and like even the little kids, like they're like you could clearly see them being nerds. Like they all kind of have that kind of are like that personality to them in a sense, and they completely look their personality. Yeah, and what I really love about Murray is this running gag that he's like a matchmaker. Um, one of my favorite scenes uh, from season two is after the um, the scene where. Nancy and Jonathan hook up and then they're eating breakfast right and Murray looks at Jonathan and he's like so how was the pull out <laughs> I remember <laughs> and then I think Murray spits out like what they were eating or something like that and it was just like yeah Murray's great Jonathan spits in his cup <laughs> Jonathan spits in his cup he's like what and he's like the sofa how was the pull out sofa <laughs> Murray is <laughs> just he's 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 just he's so over funny, the top. Dude. Yeah, he's over the top in a good way. And I feel like even like from the beginning, we're kind of supposed to like dismiss Murray as like not being like um, just kind of being like a crackpot in terms of um, what he thinks. Like a nut job. We're not supposed to take yeah. it. Yeah, nut job. We're not supposed to take him seriously. But then it comes out. The truth comes out, and we find out that Murray was right the whole time. I think in like the first thing he talks about, like what's like Russians or I don't know what he says, but he says he something said something about like completely a, true. He said. He said, there's been a Russian invasion here in Hawkins. There was a, a bald Russian girl who, there we go. who did something, who broke who broke the um the front door of the store. Yeah. And then what's it called? Hopper just completely dismissed it. But then by the end of season two and three, we find, we find out that Murray is like completely vindicated. He knew completely everything that was going on. It's kind of weird because I'm like, where is Murray really getting his sources? I know. That's something I never really like really considered, but... I guess you could just chalk it up to him being like a really good investigative journalist and you know even though he didn't figure it out and he got told by Jonathan and Nancy 
I still think he was definitely onto something and he was just trying to put the pieces together. So as a character, I really liked him. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, Bob Newby, who I think is one of the most <laughs> underrated characters on the series, dude. Um, I don't know. Bob, what's I know they Go ahead, keep going. Okay, I don't know, but like, I know you said that Oh wait, no, you didn't talk about it this time. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, God. I think what were you, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say something about how um, I was gonna talk about how Bob and I was also, I was gonna talk about Hopper and Joyce. How you said that they were kind of oh, to be like there. um, how my thoughts on how um, they, I think that like you kind of get the hints that they're supposed to be together from like the end of season one, even during season two, I think when um, Will first goes back to the lab, it's Hopper and Joyce that go together. Not what's it called, Bob and Joyce, but Hopper and Joyce. You kind of get that feeling like, oh, like there's something there. And then we get introduced to Bob and we're like, wait, who the hell is this, you know? And Bob is kind of like, compared to Hopper, Bob is kind of like a dweeb. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> like Hopper's like big, like, you know, he's macho and all that kind of stuff. Bob is kind of like... He's short, chubby. Bob like, the brain. <laughs> like he's chill. He's not like very like. He's just he's not. He doesn't have a very intimidating presence around him. So we're not like. What I, I really, really see. Go ahead. What I really like about um, Bob is that he's kind of what Joyce needed as um, as a single mom struggling with her kids. Um, we saw in season one how her ex her ex husband was, uh, you know, typical deadbeat dad. Well acted, mm-hmm. of course, like everyone mm-hmm. else on the show. But I think Bob Newby was the character she needed as a partner because he was the one that was willing to, you know, settle down, get away from the craziness in Hawkins. And I definitely think that there was a huge part of her that wanted to do that, you know, because after all that trouble with Will, I think it really, um, she kind of just needed to get away from all the trauma that was left behind in the town. Bob so that makes like, his was- death really, like, Sorry. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> just... alert right there. <laughs> no, I mean... But anyway, what I was going to say is like, Bob was soft. He was reliable. He wasn't really much of a nuisance when it came to Joyce. He was like, he was a comforting presence to her in a sense. Like, he wasn't the best choice for Joyce, let's be real. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he wasn't the best choice for her. Like, I feel like she could have done better. But he was like, he was good. He was good for her. She was fine with him. She was happy with him. He never, what to call like, did anything to the kids. Nothing wrong to them. And even, like, when he did something wrong, like, try to move them out, it was with good intentions. He was never a malicious or a bad guy. Even the advice he gave to Will while it did kind of screw Will over, when he was, like, screaming, go away. And then that scene, very, that scene scared me a lot, too. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, when he's giving, like, when he's telling Will, like, how he had the nightmare and, like, eventually, like, you just got to turn around and say, go away. Like, that makes sense, too, because Bob doesn't know what's going on here. He just, he just thinks that Will is having these nightmares and that, like, whatever's going on isn't actually occurring to, like, Will in real life. Yeah, and I think what made his death so like impactful was because he's so he's so good natured, you know. And I feel like that's a common trend with a lot of the main characters. A lot of them have this inherent quality where they want to do what's best for everyone else. Uh, but Bob definitely like exemplifies that as like you know a father figure in a way to Jonathan and Will. There is this is a bit of a spoiler, but I don't know about you, but Hopper's death 
did not affect me nearly as much as Bob's did. Because with Hot Pocket, are, are you still, serious? Like, Wait, what? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I just gotta say it. Okay, Way. with Hopper, like, wait, let me talk. Let me talk. Okay, <laughs> with okay. With Hopper, I'll let you express Hopper's your wrong opinion. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> with Hopper's death, like there was still the feeling that he was alive, that he hadn't died, that he like you know that there was still a chance. We saw Bob die on screen. He was dead. There was nothing about you know it. Okay. And also, Bob That's risked his yeah, Bob risked his life. Like I'm not saying Hopper didn't risk his life. But Hopper's kind of been in it for a while. Bob didn't know what the hell was going on. He didn't know anything that was happening. And he, out of the goodness of his heart, he just has to go and start helping because that's what he's used to doing. Bob is a helper. And he does it too. He helps them. He saves them. And then he dies for what he did to others. And okay, I feel you like that's just, that makes it so much worse. Okay, you know what? I can see what you're saying. Because, like, there's a, there's more of a sense of hopelessness when Bob dies. Like, you know nothing's coming out of that. He's dead. He's dead, dead. He's not coming back because we saw also, the Demogorgons feasting on his body. I just like um, Bob as a character. Like, he's a dork. <laughs> but he's a lovable <laughs> dork. Like, he's someone that you actually kind of like. You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of those wholesome church leaders. That's what he reminds me of. Okay, I don't have anything to say about I know that. You because... I know you don't have experience with that. But, like, mm-hmm. for my... Uh, my Catholic school friends, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, going back to Bob, um, or Bob and Hopper, I guess what makes more, I guess what made me sad about Hopper's death was not necessarily the death itself, but that, uh, but that letter. But we'll we'll get into that in season three, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, let's go back to season two. We got Bob's side death. Here. Bob's <laughs> death is Bob's Bob death is easily Hopper. like the saddest moment of the series. Well, not of the series. Sorry, of the this, season. Oh, of the season. I don't, <laughs> okay, of the season. You know, of the season, yeah, I w- I'll have to agree with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's also talk about Max I've... while we're talking about new characters. What do you think okay, about wait, Max? Wait, wait, wait. I want to go first. I, I want to go first. I want to go first. Max okay. got done dirty in season two by every single other character. And I've told you this before. <laughs> Literally, in every single scene she is in, like when she's finally with the group, she gets crapped on. Whether it's by Mike, by Luke, by someone random. He'll, she'll get crapped on. Even when she's trying to be nice to Eleven. I get why Eleven was mad because she saw Max and like, what's it called? Mike like mm-hmm. skating. And she didn't see it from like Mike's perspective. But still, she exists to get crapped on. And it's funny because, it's not funny. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's interesting to see because her home life is terrible. Her friends treat her terribly. This new girl out of nowhere treats her terribly. Everyone in the season craps on max and it doesn't make sense to me i think <laughs> you know what i can agree with that i mean i remember laughing so hard when i saw that scene with 11 when she introduced herself to 11 11 just like pushes past her mm-hmm. she, like, like, she gives her like a cold look yeah. and she just like she just doesn't associate with her at all i know and like you know i never really thought about it like that because i'm not the biggest fan of max's character um She's a good character or whatever, but she's mm-hmm. she's kind of whatever. I mean, I'm not really a big no, fan I feel of like, child I feel actors. like I feel like I feel like I feel like Max isn't as important in season two as she is in season three. And her point of season three is to develop like Eleven's character too. But we'll get into that in season three. Yeah, she's more of a supporting character because she like, I guess she kind of also progresses um, Lucas's and Dustin's. You know, um, I guess they're their social skills or whatever i don't know but she just seemed like a supporting character more than anything like a i don't know like a plot device for extra drama maybe 
Um, she had she had a really big what's it called, like, um, personality change throughout the season too. Like I mean, see, like, at the beginning, she's kind of like angry a lot. Like she just she she bursts out a lot. But then by the end of the season, she's considered like one of the group. Well, not with Eleven, but like with the others. Like they see her as she's integral to it now. And I feel like that really changes her character too. She's not. She's still like you know. She still has her little one liners, like her comebacks and everything, mm-hmm. like her put downs. But she's like she's a lot more compassionate with them. I think the thing with um, with Max, a lot of people kind of forget is that she's related to Billy, so she's in that same um, household of abuse. But she kind of comes out of the better end. Like she's gone through that, so she doesn't want to be like that. But Billy is the opposite. Billy adapts to that and becomes that. I don't. So I think that that's an interesting dynamic there. I don't think that's necessarily true because we do know that Max and Billy are what's called like their step siblings, and I feel like you know. Billy's dad isn't nearly as hard on Max as he is on Billy from the flashback we do see in um, season three, but at the same time she is still kind of in that household that she sees like how Billy's dad acts. I don't think it's necessarily the same because we know Billy has it a lot worse than Max does when it comes to like home. Oh, you think it's one of those like macho dad and son things? Yeah, I really think so because we don't get any instances of like Billy's dad being a complete jerk to Max. But we do get a clear, what's it called, shot of Billy's dad being horrible to him. And we know Max's mom isn't nearly as bad because we still don't get that. It's really weird. We see everyone else's parents except for, like, Max. We see Lucas's parents a little bit. We see, you know, well, Mike's parents are kind of like, they're pretty integral parts to season three, too, at times. Will's, Joyce, and then Dustin has mm-hmm. his mom. His mom is more like a comedy character, but we still see her. We, I don't think we ever see Max's mom. I think Max's mom is still in. No, wait, no, no. no. Isn't Max? No, Max's she, mom is married she, to Billy's dad. Billy's dad, isn't yeah. she? We never no, we see did Max's see her. mom. Yeah. We did see her for like a bit. When? We did see her for oh, a bit. Yeah. Um, the part I think where so, but like, the dad. She's she's. They're both supporting characters. That's the thing. They like they barely show up. The they're there, but like what's it called like Billy's dad has a role. Well, Max's mom really does not, you know? Like, she's just there. You know, we that's true. Yeah, she's, kind of, she's kind of just sitting there on the side, and you could tell that she's kind of used to, you know, putting up with the dad and all his uh, mm-hmm. abuse. I mean, so. shoot, we even see what we see Eleven's mom more than we see Max's mom. That's a good point. Um, but at the same time, you know, Eleven's did, mom is integral to the plot, too. Since we're talking about Eleven again, and we're talking about family mm-hmm. dynamics, Hopper and Eleven, mm-hmm. dude. Oh my! This is my favorite oh, uh, character man. dynamic this season, man. <laughs> it was so perfect, and uh, like we didn't really get too much of that in season one with Hopper. They just teased it with um, him leaving the Ego in the little box at the end of um, the season, season one, one finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just dude, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just love their their um, their interactions as a father and daughter figure. Um, that one scene where they're yelling at each other um, after she goes to the school that's one of my favorite scenes of the season just because it's like it's very accurate to um, a father a father daughter um, argument and it's like you can understand both sides I always mm-hmm. love when you can emphasize when you can empathize with both sides of an argument like you can kind of see where both of them are coming from like on the one hand Hopper is trying to protect her and make sure she's safe but on the other hand she's you know a kid she's eager to go out and see her friends again and she's been 
taken away from them for like almost a year at this point so i really love how they handled that like how they kind of like i guess their characters kind of um you know supported each other how hopper got that daughter figure he was missing when his daughter died and 11 kind of got that you know tough love but still a parent that actually cares about her as opposed to you know uh that lizard brenner (laughs) (laughs) um i was gonna say quarantine really made me change my view on the whole hopper um 11 dynamic because when i first was watching it and you know we were all allowed to go out and all that kind of stuff i was like you know 11 is like a little ungrateful man like he's like saving her he's protecting her but now Mm -hmm. like you know as someone who is stuck at home for like 99 percent of the week i completely get where 11 is coming from it drives you crazy at times and you want to go out but you know you can't because it's 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 really (laughs) it's really parallel to our situation today in a sense and the fact that we're all supposed to stay home for our own goods but at the same time cabin fever does run wild and at some point we all just like we have we feel that need to like get out of the house yeah and the thing is they didn't have um a way to communicate with each other uh, her and mike they didn't have a way to communicate with each other because obviously they're she's supposed to be like i guess dead or missing or whatever because Hopper has to protect her from the the lab people so they don't experiment on her again. So I think that makes it even worse because at least we can communicate, you know? Um, I want to say, I feel like it would be... It, yeah, it's worse for, like, Eleven's, like, mental being, but, like, for her own sake, it was probably the best that they couldn't contact each other because you know Mike and the group would obviously, like, they'd be trying to bust her out all the time and eventually that would probably get her screwed over and maybe even get her sent back to the facility. So it is, like, you know, it is bad for her mental health but in terms of her physical health, it's like it's very, very smart of Hopper to do that. It's not it's not ethical, but it's smart. It's smart. Like he says, we're not stupid. We can't afford to take risks. Mm-hmm. But while we're talking about the lab people, I was actually not expecting to like Dr. Owens in this season well we we kind of don't until we get to like the finale and then he's like trying to help um he's trying to help bob leave the place because that's the point where we kind of see dr owens like show that he's not dr brenner and that he doesn't like fake care about the patients that he has he genuinely cares about like the well-being of people and then at the end when we do get um 11's birth certificate and all that kind of stuff that shows that she's now like officially like a person with everyone else it kind of shows that he's he's part of the good side he's not a bad guy at all the thing with Owens is at the beginning I kind of didn't trust him because he was um he was pretty much telling Nancy and Jonathan hey you got to keep it hush hush you know but you realize later on that that's just his job he has to do that to protect mm-hmm. the company he's working for or the government um but the, the moment that made me like change my tune about him is when him and all those panels that panel of doctors were talking about what they're going to do with the tunnels when they discover the tunnels they're like we need to start the burn and he's like we're not gonna we're not gonna start burning the tunnels unless we can make sure that will doesn't die and then one of the other doctors is like well if he dies he dies and then dr owens turns to him and he's like you say that to me again and like i remember watching that part and i was like i actually really like this guy like he's a nice change of pace from brenner like he actually you know follows hippocratic oath he actually wants to take care of his patients before anything else and I really like that about the character it was very refreshing to see someone with good nature in this government role the scene that really scared me like for him um, was when he's first trying to guide Bob like out of the lab 
at first when he was like telling him the directions, I thought he was gonna like guide him to like the demo dogs to just get him killed off at that point, just to, like you know, so that there wouldn't oh, be to any sabotage more witnesses. him for like a distraction. Yeah. Oh. To sabotage him. But he genuinely like he tries to help Bob, and Bob almost gets there. It's just the fact that Bob gets unlucky. Bob just gets unlucky, like with what's it called, the demo dogs and everything. But it does show how Doctor Owens truly does care about the people that he's working with, and that he knows that he his what's it called, his models was like no one left behind. He'll always try to save everyone in a sense. Yeah, he's always willing to look out for Will, and I, I think that was really nice that they're like. Because, like, you kind of get the sense that maybe they're doing this because, you know, they want to keep the buyers quiet about what's going on. You know, they want to appease them so that no secrets get out. But I actually got the sense that Dr. Owens cared about Will. And, okay, Will this season was (laughs) crazy, man. Oh, my God. Some of Um, those, yeah. (laughs) Well, it wasn't necessarily Will, but, like, it was just the way he was acting with the Mind Flayer was so... It was not... It was unlike him. Yeah, Noah Schnapp just did such a good job, man. Because, like, I know last season the best child doctor was obviously Millie Bobby Brown, I think. I don't think that's up for debate. But, like, Noah Schnapp as well this season was insane. Like, that one scene where he's, like, shaking because they're burning the tunnels. That thing just gives me (laughs) chills, bro. It reminds me of The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. It was one of those scenes where it was kind of uncomfortable to watch at times because you were just like, (laughs) oh, like, you don't want to see, you know, a child freaking getting tortured but that's what you're really seeing and Noah Schnapp he sells it like perfectly yeah they were like he was just he was just screaming dude I remember I was like god damn imagine if this was your kid dude that would be insane to me I mean Joyce kind of knows like what's like it's for the greater good and all that kind of stuff but the amount of time she puts into Will is insane Joyce is hands down the best parent on the show there's no debating that oh yeah no debating that I mean, Joyce will go people to will hell make an argument back about for Hopper. Her kids. Hopper. People will mean, make an argument about is, Hopper, but like, you okay, could make an argument, but it's Joyce, bro. No, like Hopper would. If it was Hopper, Hopper did give up on Will. Joyce didn't. Joyce was the only one who didn't give up on Will in season one. Yeah, I think that that's one of like the main themes with Joyce's character is that, um, she's like the greatest mom, dude. Like she doesn't give up on her kids. She's always willing to push through. And I love that she was still, like, you know, carrying that concern for Will this season. Where, like, she's like, what's happening with my boy? What's going to happen to him? Like, she was very concerned about it. And she was making sure that the the lab people were held accountable for it. It's kind of interesting seeing, like, what they call the contrast between Joyce and the rest of the kids' parents. Mike's parents don't really ask about anything. They don't really oh care. Oh my Mister. god, Mike's parents, bro. Uh, Mike's, Mike's parents are worst. so annoying. They're so least, annoying, dude. At least, like, at least I Mike's remember, mom cares. I mean, she does, but that's only season one. I feel like she doesn't give a, give a shit in season two. Um, that's like I remember true. there was that there was that one scene where Dustin comes by the house, and he's like, "Mr. Wheeler." Your line has been busy for the last two hours. Do you know what's going on? And he's like, our children don't live here anymore. You didn't know that. <laughs> that was funny, though. <laughs> I was like, that was so unhelpful, dude. I know, and Dustin's just like, you son of a bitch. You really no help at all. You know that? <laughs> I remember that was one of the, the, the hardest I've laughed on in that season. But, uh, no, it's just because, like, you know, Dustin's mom isn't... Dustin's mom is kind of... She, uh, she needs him, in a sense. And then I, I feel like Dustin's mom is weird. It's just weird for me. I need, I need to see more of that relationship. Um, Lucas's parents are fine, but we don't really see them that much. We already talked about my. That was parents. a funny. That was a funny scene at that breakfast table, though. 
when he was like, what do you do when you and mom have an argument? Um, and then I think the dad says something like, I just apologize. <laughs> I it's think he so said something dumb. like that. Yeah. No, I think my favorite scene is, um, I think um, Dustin's mom is like, where'd my cat go or something like that? And then we find out that Dart <laughs> should have ate the cat. <laughs> that was so weird to me. He ate but, the cat, bro. That's funny. I know. It was low-key sad because we'd be team cats. <laughs> but anyway, it was well, so funny No, to dogs see. are better. Dogs are okay. better. We're not going to get into this today. But anyway, because to part I'm of right, this um, episode of the Mediaverse podcast, I just wanted to know what your final thoughts on the season were after a little discussion about it with the person who thinks that it's the greatest season. Uh, well, it's not. It's the worst season just because of that one episode. So nothing I said changed your but, mind. Um, and no, in all seriousness, I think it was a really good season, but honestly that one episode is just what takes it down for me it just it just drags the quality the overall quality down the whole season like i said it's a every season's a long movie it's not like a normal tv season so i'm just gonna judge it off of that one segment because that's like the biggest i guess screw up that the stranger things writers have made so far uh we'll see if they do anything wrong in season four though i highly doubt highly doubt it because they learned their lesson with season three um but no, yeah, I I still think it's the worst season, but that's not saying much because the entire show is just so great. Um, the other two seasons are obviously ten out of ten for me, but this is just like a nine out of ten just for that one episode. So, yeah. Well, I find it interesting that you give this a nine out of ten because although this is my favorite season, I would give it a nine point five out of ten as well. I don't think any of the seasons are true tens. Like they're all. Don't get me wrong; they're some of the best TV I've ever seen. But I have to be like completely blown away by something to give it a 10 out of 10 you know okay what what is what is a 10 out of 10 tv show for you for me (laughs) a 10 out of 10 would be a few seasons of community those are that is easily the best the best yes the best comedy stuff like breaking not the office the office each season kind of has like a weird episode for me i don't know it's it's a great show don't get me wrong but there are times where i just kind of go like okay like this is this isn't up to like par to the rest maybe the office but the thing is there's so many episodes of the office that you can't really give it a 10 because there's always going to be like a little bit of a miss yeah. come on <laughs> you gotta just let me talk for a second man okay i give i give very very <laughs> few tens out very few tens out especially with tv shows because okay yeah, i'm the same because, way like there's a lot of things to cover with tv and it gets really hard to give something a true 10 when there's so many episodes of it so i'm gonna give it a 9.5 but i'm gonna say it's my favorite season the favorite character work i think i've seen in all three seasons and a truly terrifying villain whether we're talking the human villain or the spiritual villain um you know just to build off of that i'm just gonna say i do love what they did with the characters i mean my favorite characters, Hopper and Steve, you know, they got a lot of, you know, good progress in this mm-hmm. season that kind of, you know, gets paid off extremely well in season three. Um, Like you said, it is kind of a setup season for the next season. But um, yeah, overall, it's still a good season. Still really great, even if I didn't like that one episode. Um, and with that, I guess we're going to wrap up the episode. Um. I guess tune in next time. We're going to have a special guest when we talk about season three. Um, my buddy Mark, he's going to be on. He's a huge fan of the show, and I know he's been wanting to be Exciting. on here for a while. So, 
um, we're gonna get him on. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see because season three is his favorite season, so it seems like every season we got someone who says it's their own favorite season. So, um, yeah. That being said, this has been the Mediaverse podcast, and um, we'll see you next time. <laughs>